Saints of Sicily, women saints of Sicily. Sicily is an enchanting land filled with ancient monuments of their history, including amphitheaters in Syracusa, which tells the story of a civilization of centuries past, and the Greek temples scattered throughout the country, especially in Agrigento, which highlights the landscape of the country. However, for our purposes and most important to our faith belief, we want to share with you two special saints of Sicily, Saints Rosalia or Saint Rosalie and Santa Lucia, or as we know her so well, Saint Lucy of Syracusa. Both of these women were powerful intercessors for the people of Sicily for centuries and have had and continue to have a great influence on the spirituality of the country. We begin in Palermo, in one of the most famous shrines in the heart of the country, Santa Rosalia. Her remains are held with great respect in the Cathedral of Palermo. She is the patron saint of Palermo, but her story begins high up on a mountain top to get to where it all happened. When we drive up this curvy road, it's hard to imagine our little heron climbing up this steep, ragged path impassable at times. She chose a cave in what appears to be the center of an amphitheater with a border of ragged rocks. She was truly a rose and lily among the thorns that greeted her and protected her for the few years that she lasted up there. Only the sound of sweet chirping birds and the symphony and the seas splashing waves against the rocks below melodiously lulled her to sleep when evening pulled down her shade to reveal a panorama of stars, her Lord showering her with his majestic creation. Our story of Santa Rosalia begins on the top of this mountain, Monte Pellegrino, about 30 feet south of heaven. This is where the bones of our saint were found. A hunter in this area had a vision of Santa Rosalia in which she told him her life story and asked him to have her bones brought down to the city to the cathedral where she could heal them of the plague which was rampant in Palermo at that time. We also have a miracle through the intercession of Santa Rosalia in our own family. Penny writes, When my father was a baby, just a little infant, he was dying. In their home in the city, the family were gathered together, already mourning the baby who was about to die. It was the feast day of Santa Rosalia. The procession was passing by the home where the baby lay dying. All of a sudden, the procession stopped. The music continued, um papa, um papa, and all of a sudden, they heard the baby singing, um papa, um papa. The statue of Santa Rosalia was right there. The baby was healed, and so the family attributed this miraculous healing to the intercession of Santa Rosalia, and we have always had a devotion to her. In Thanksgiving, they named Penny's father Rosario in honor of Santa Rosalia. Now, to get to her story, she was of a Norman family in the 12th century. The Normans came to Sicily and routed the Muslims after 200 years of Muslim domination here. She was the daughter of one of these families and just found no joy in living the life of the Norman court and so she climbed up and so she came up on a mountain, first San Stefano Quisquina near Agrigento and finally to this mountain, 
Mont Pellegrino and lived the rest of her life as a hermit, praying to God with only a rosary and a Bible. She died here after living the life of a hermit and nobody ever heard anything about her. Although churches have been named after her as early as 1272, it wasn't until the 17th century when the Great Plague hit the area that she appeared to this hunter and also his sick sister in town and told them that she would heal the city if they would bring her bones into the city in procession. At that time, 1652, when the plague had decimated parts of Italy, her bones were brought down in procession to the city and placed at a special altar in the cathedral, and the plague never hit the city of Palermo. From that time to this, people come to the cathedral to pray for healings of mind and body, and those who can drive up the steep mountain to her shrine on Monte Pellegrino. And every year on her feast day, her bones are carried throughout the city in a glorious procession, and the whole town turns out to honor her. For us, we brought our children here to venerate the shrine of the saint and learn about their tradition. It gives us joy to share this with you, not only our brothers and sisters who came over to the United States, but to all our church family all over the world. Palermo's enthusiasm for Santa Rosalia has grown over the centuries in both the caves she lived in, San Stefano Quisquina, and here on Monte Pellegrino, which is where she appeared to the hunter and asked for her bones to be brought down to Palermo. There are many artifacts in this cave. The most fascinating reliquaries can be found in the museum, which is right off the gift shop. The main Festa of Santa Rosalia, honoring the time she saved the city, is held at the same time, July 13th through the 15th each year. It's a major social and religious event in Palermo. There's much festivity involved. The actual feast day of Santa Rosalia is on September 4th where there is a tradition of walking barefoot through the city. The first time we visited Monte Pellegrino was more than 20 years ago. We came on a Sunday morning for Mass. As soon as the church was opened, people flocked to the little altar to Santa Rosalia and her statue. The deacon came in and was preparing the altar for the Mass. He said to everyone, Okay, let's get away from the statue of Santa Rosalia and get ready for Mass. They ignored him completely, which is typical. So he said it again, and they ignored him again. And you know what he did? He closed all the lights in the church. He said to them, When you're ready to first come and honor our Lord during the Mass, then you can go to Santa Rosalia, because Santa Rosalia is only an intercessor. She can't do anything without Jesus. And so they obediently left the little statue of the saint, went to their pews, and celebrated Mass. Now, as soon as the Mass was over, they rushed to the altar of the saint. Turn to Santa Rosalia. She will help. You don't have to be Sicilian, but it could hurt. Santa Lucia. Our story of St. Lucy begins in 1980 in Venice. It was November. We were here with our grandson. He always wanted to go on the gondolas, but it was too expensive. However, in November, there are not many people riding on the gondolas, so we got a good deal on the price, and he was able to have his dream fulfilled. It was after that we went to the Church of St. Lucy and visited her shrine there.
The church was fairly empty that Saturday as the season had died down. We were talking with the men at the souvenir booth when Penny saw these two tall men different in appearance from the Italians. They looked Germanic. They were very curious about the sarcophagus of the saint. She rests in a glass and gold case, and her body is incorrupt. She is certainly a marvel to behold, but these two never seem to stop scrutinizing her. Finally, they left, and I kind of chastised my darling for being too suspicious. Well, you know, she's never wrong. The very next day, as we were going to Mass at the Basilica of St. Anthony in Padua, there were big headlines that the body of the saint was stolen. We were sure it was the Germans, but it turned out to be the people from Syracuse taking their same back from the Venetians who had stolen it some time before. Eventually, her body was returned to Venice, where she is revered to this day. Now for the story of St. Lucy as the world knows it. Lucy is one of the early martyrs of the church. She is part of the Roman martyrology as is St. Agatha of Catania. Lucy had a very great devotion to St. Agatha. Once she had a vision of St. Agatha, in which she was told that she, Lucy, will be known as the saint of Syracuse. St. Lucy and her mother, who was very sick, went on pilgrimage to the shrine of St. Agatha. Her mother was healed of her illness through the intercession of St. Agatha. St. Lucy and St. Agatha were virgin martyrs. Now, these virgin martyrs are very important today because we're living in a time where the evil one makes fun of chastity and those who choose to be chaste. Well, these women, Agatha, Lucy, Cecilia, and many others gave their lives rather than give up their chastity, which they had given to the Lord. They had given themselves to the Lord and will not let anything stop them. They refused to marry, to have young men court them. Here's where we run into a problem. St. Lucy's father died when she was very young. Her mother, in order to protect her, promised her in marriage to a prominent bachelor. Eutychia suffered terribly from a recurring hemorrhage from which she could seem to get no relief. Lucy had heard many things about the miracles which had taken place in Catania at the tomb of St. Agatha, who was a very famous saint of the region. Catania is not that far from Syracuse, so Lucy convinced her mother to go with her on pilgrimage to the shrine of the little saint of Catania. Tradition tells us that they arrived at the church of St. Agatha just at the time of the gospel, which was taken from Luke 8.43, telling of the woman who had suffered a hemorrhage for 12 years. Lucy turned to Eutychia and asked her if she believed that which she had just heard. When the mother replied in the affirmative, she said to her, If you believe what you have just heard, you should also believe that Agatha is always in the presence of him for whom she had suffered martyrdom. And if in this faith you touch the tomb of the saints, you will instantly recover your health. The mother and daughter stayed in the church after everyone else had left. They went into a deep sleep. St. Agatha appeared to Lucy. She shared with her how she would become to the people of Syracuse what she, Agatha, had become to the people of Catania. She said to the child, Why do you ask me for what you yourself can do? Your faith has healed your mother. 
At that moment, the hemorrhage left Eutychia. She was healed. Eutychia praised the Lord and St. Agatha for her healing. She turned to her daughter and thanked Lucy for convincing her to come to Catania. Lucy felt it was the right time to tell her of the vow she had made to Jesus never to marry. She pleaded with Eutychia not to force her to marry the young man to whom she had been betrothed. Her mother agreed and released her from the obligation. Lucy then asked her to take whatever dowry she had promised for Lucy's wedding and give it to the poor. Eutychia agreed, and upon returning home, the two began to divest themselves of all their wealth. This was a good thing, but it became the catalyst which ultimately brought about the death of our little saint. The young man to whom Lucy was to marry became angry at the rejection he had received from her, partially because he was to lose this beautiful girl, but also partly because he was losing all her wealth. He turned her over to the local consul, Pascasius, as being a Christian. He immediately arrested the girl and demanded she burn a sacrifice to the pagan god. She replied she had given away all her possessions and had nothing left to offer a sacrifice. He threatened to have her sent to a brothel where her body would be defiled. She said to him, The body is not defiled unless the mind consents. If you have me ravished against my will, my chastity will be doubled and the crown will be mine. Pascasius ordered that she be thrown into a den of men with the instructions that they defile and abuse her body until she was dead. The soldiers came to take her away. However, when they tried to lift her up, her body became like lead, too heavy for them to lift. Tradition has it that they called for a thousand men to come and move her. She was tied, hands and feet, and the thousand men were not able to budge her. Then the consul ordered that a thousand oxen attempt to move her body. It also failed. He tried all sorts of vile, underhanded ploys to break her spirit. Nothing worked. After trying to kill her by having boiling oil pour over her body, she rebuked him. I have prayed for the prolongation of my martyrdom in order to free believers from the fear of suffering and to give unbelievers time to insult me. All around, Pascasius could see he was visibly shaken at the turn of events. One of his friends thrust a dagger into her throat in the hopes of shutting her up. It did not stop her. She prophesied the dethroning of the tyrant Diocletian and the salvation of the church in Sicily. According to the Golden Legend, our little saint did not die until priests brought Holy Communion to her. There are other traditions that state that her eyes were gouged out as a final torture, but that she was able to see without them. In Dante's Inferno, it is said that she plucked out her own eyes because her fiancé, whom she rejected, admired them so, and God gave her even more beautiful eyes. Whatever the case, she has always been venerated as a patron of eye ailments. She is seen in all her paintings carrying a golden plate with her eyes on it. A church was built immediately, and as St. Agatha had prophesied to St. Lucy, she did indeed become the patron saint of Syracusa, as St. Agatha is of Catania. Miracles have abounded through the intercession of St. Lucy down through the ages. Italians eat St. Lucy's eyes 
cakes or biscotti shaped like eyeballs in honor of a miracle performed by St. Lucy during a famine in 1582. She made a flotilla of grain-bearing ships appear in the harbor. The people were so hungry they boiled and ate the grain without grinding it into flour. Sicilians don't eat anything made with wheat flour on her day. Instead, they eat potatoes or rice in the form of golden croquettes shaped and fried to the color of oranges and filled with chopped meats. In Palermo, everyone eats cucha, a dessert of whole wheat berries cooked in water then mixed with sweet ricotta. The celebration of St. Lucy spread over all of Europe, but the place where she is most beloved is Scandinavia, where light is especially welcome in the long hours of winter darkness. On her day, the eldest or youngest daughter rises before dawn and fixes a breakfast of special pastries and coffee for her family. She appears in their bedrooms, dressed in a white dress belted with a red sash and wearing a wreath of greens and four or seven or nine lighted candles. In Scandinavia, the Christmas celebrations began on St. Lucia Day, when each town and village crowns a Lucia on the first Sunday of Advent. Apart from the religious duties, the crowned Lucia must visit hospitals, community centers, and nursing homes before Christmas. We love you. Please load our free Bob and Penny Lord app. Here is how to download our free Bob and Penny Lord app. Simply with your iPhone or Android device, go to the App Store, search for Bob and Penny Lord app, and download it. It's that simple. Here's what you can do with our free Bob and Penny Lord app. Number one, the, there's a link to our marketplaces, our websites, uh, our uh, blog, and this podcast. The second link is to our Bob and Penny Lord TV channel, where you can access all of our videos as seen on EWTN, plus a whole lot more. Thank you very much.